it went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. Just Let's go to 73, three wins as well. Uh, at least one or two of those over the uh, lady we've talked about before. Mm. And then... <laughs> Let's get on to the best year. Well, I, I, I say best year. You were player of the year in 70. But, boy, uh, Bruce, how can you beat 1974? Pretty pretty special. Another major championship at the uh, LPGA. And we just, well, might as well add a U.S. Open, a Women's <laughs> Open as well. So what a year. That had to be great. It, it was. I mean, I was really playing some of the best golf I had played in and I won the the LPGA first, and then a month later the U.S. Open, and um, it uh, again. Um, I'm I'm just I'm I'm playing good, um, and uh, I it was uh, I I got there, and I just said I love this golf course. It was the best setup I I had personally played from the USGA because for whatever reason they they have their own sense of how to set up a golf course mm-hmm. and I just uh, it was just comfortable and we just we had uh, a great Sunday we all made mistakes we all played good and uh, the uh, probably my biggest memory is seventeen and eighteen. Uh, 17. I'll bet. <laughs> I'm 17. I'm playing with Sandra Spusich, and she, 17 was a par three, and she hit it. And um, I, I thought I knew what she hit, but I didn't really. And I hit one more because it was all water up to the, to the, almost to the pin. The pin was only like eight feet over the water. Well, I hit the wrong club. I hit too much. And so now I'm 70 feet from the hole and I make the putt. And uh, then at 18, I have to birdie in order to win. And it was like 18 feet. And I thought, well, this is nothing compared to what I just did. This this is easy. Uh, so birdie the last two holes. And as I was walking up 18, uh, T.J. Boatwright was walking with me, and he said, "He said I, I, I'm not sure anybody's ever buried the last two holes to win a U.S. Open at that time. It's certainly been done more than once. And I thought, oh, well, that's a good goal. Uh, so, yeah. so I added Boy. that. Yeah, well, uh, let's just uh, let's just take our listeners back uh, so they know what we're talking about. We're talking about the 1974 Women's U.S. Open. This was at Lagrange Country Club, just outside of Chicago, uh, where uh, Sandra won by one over Carol Mann and Beth Stone. And uh, you know, you, you finished you finished birdie birdie. The the thing that uh, that uh, some people may not remember is you doubled sixteen, and so those two birdies on seventeen and eighteen were quite necessary, weren't they? Well, they were, and the interesting thing on 16 was I was playing with Joanne Carter, who was kind of in the hunt a little bit. She also double bogeyed 16, and I believe Carol double bogeyed 16. So that I mean, it was a, was kind of a one of those kind of impossible holes. Anyway, it's the green set at an angle; it's hard to get to. 
Um, so a double bogey was not the end of the world, but I think all three of us double bogeyed 16. Yeah. Let, let me share, <laughs> let me share, let me share this quote from, from, from Sports Illustrated about that event. It said the course, and this is a quote, someone that I'll, I'll name here soon. The course was listed at 6,266 yards, but the players said that that was as accurate as Jack Benny's age. Everyone will have to keep the covers loose on their fairway woods, said Susie Burning, the open winner the past two years, by the way. Uh, and someone with a macabre sense of humor dangled a hangman's noose from one of the television towers. So it was a challenge that week, huh? It was It was a challenge. It, it played very long. Yeah, it it, uh, it was more than 6,200 yards. Uh, and... It, it, you know, when, when golf courses are really in lush condition, you're not getting a lot of roll, you know, so it's all carry. And for us, that a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. What do you remember about this? Uh, uh, there was a boycott discussed for that week amongst some of the players because of the low purse announced originally of 40000 versus the men's a comparable purse for their open of 225,000. You remember anything about that? We talked about it. Um, we were, we were kind of a little bit, uh, listening a little bit to the tennis, the women's tennis, trying to get equality in prize purse. Uh, we had had some discussions with them. Um, and we were, we were seriously discussing it. Um, but we felt that, um, we would perhaps do more harm by actually boycotting that let's start a conversation. Let's see where this conversation can lead us as a, as opposed to taking strong action. Um, it certainly uh, didn't happen immediately. It's now happening, which is perhaps a little, it's never too late to, to start rectifying things. But um, at, at that time we just, said, let's start the conversation. Let's not take that action. But we did want to start the conversation. Yep. We're going to take our listeners back about four weeks because we want to talk about the other major you won that that year because winning this U.S. Open, you became the second woman to win the LPGA and the the U.S. Open championship in the same year, the other woman at that time being Mickey Wright. And now, of course, uh, Sari Pack and, and Meg Mallon have done that. But I want to take you back five weeks, not just four weeks. I want to take you back to the 1974 Lawson's LPGA Open uh, in Ohio because you won that event in a playoff, and then you rolled right into the LPGA Championship that next week. So your game was uh, was uh, where you wanted it to be, I guess, coming into that, that major. Correct. You know, as I said, I was – I was not one of those players that could say, there's a major coming, I'm going to do all my prep work. I was not that player. I was a player that had to be playing well when I got there. I And I knew that. Um, and winning the week before certainly gave me the comfort that my game was where I wanted it to be and in good shape going into a major. Um, so that just... Timing of everything always works out. Um, with the uh, with the LPGA Championship, uh, it was again Pleasant Valley Country Club in 
Worcester, Mass. I mean, just one of my all-time favorite golf courses. And uh, one of my little stories about that golf course is that 17 was almost an impossible hole. <laughs> almost impossible. We've talked about this one, Bruce, I think. Yeah, we? boy, <laughs> haven't we? Am I correct, Bruce? 16, 17. Yeah, 16 and 17, both of them were tough holes. 17, there's no place to drive it, okay? There's a mound, big mound on the left and a water on the right, and then for your second shot, there's water all the way. And uh, my strategy for the last day was to make sure I had a big enough lead in case I made double bogey at 17, which I did. They will still win the tournament. That hole was impossible. Uh, you know, listen to you guys talk about this. We've heard this for, on a number of shows because we've, we've other events have been played there, obviously. I almost feel like I've played the hole myself. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> well, you, you led by one coming into what I, I read to be a rainy Sunday. And then uh, you came out of the box firing with birdies on one, three, and four in the final round. Sounds good. <laughs> good recipe. <laughs> But she wasn't done because she birdied eleven, which gave you a six-shot lead, and then uh, and then uh, the middle of that back nine, a few stumbles with a couple of bogeys and the double on seventeen you mentioned, but still winning by two over Joanne Corner, and uh, that was the last of four straight years that they played the LPGA Championship at that Pleasant Valley. Valley, you remember how you did in those other uh, playings of the championship at that venue? I I, I don't. Um, but my favorite memories of Pleasant Valley, not only winning a major, but, um, they had great fishing lakes and, um, a couple of us would, uh, after we'd finish our rounds, we'd go back and catch some fish and there was a lodge down below and we'd take them down there and they'd cook them up for us. And so we had some good times at Pleasant Valley. So you, there was a wonderful host there too. Do you remember oh, his name? Yeah. Kazi Mingola. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, what, One what of a great guy. One of the kindest men in the world. What a nice man. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did a lot for women's golf as well. He did. Yeah. yeah. Bruce has some fond memories of uh, Pleasant Valley, having won there a couple of years before you won the LPGA Championship. He won the, yeah, uh, right. the USI Classic there. So we both like that course. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, we talked about uh, th- three victories, you know, the Lawson, the PGA Championship, and then the Open in 74, but you didn't stop there. You won three more times in 74. George Washington Classic, the National Jewish Hospital Open, and the Charity Golf Classic uh, at Woodhaven for the second time where you won by three over Jane Blaylock. So what a year. Was I supposed to stop winning at some point? <laughs> oh, no. 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 no, you made that pretty obvious that you weren't uh, finished. <laughs> yeah, that, that 74 Charity Golf Classic, uh, that, was, that featured a closing 66, which gave you back-to-back wins in that event. You know, the... the, the the Fort Worth tournament they had for three years, 
I won it all three years, and they decided not to do it anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I won it by, you know, leading from the get-go to a playoff to coming from behind. So um, I guess they wanted somebody else to win, so they just canceled the tournament. That's right. You won. Uh, you won that uh, in 1975 for the third straight time, and that that third win was in a playoff with Amy Alcott and Judy Rankin. And uh, uh, as as part of your 70, 1975 uh, record that included four wins, um, yeah. and uh, I want to ask you about the last one to see what you remember about it. It was the Greater Fort Myers Classic at Lockmore Country Club. This was in a playoff with. Pat Bradley, who must have just been coming on the scene about that time, not correct. Yeah, I would, yeah. I think that'd be about her time. Yes. So <laughs> you won. You won on the second uh, hole in the playoff, uh, chipping to within six inches for a winning par, and uh, this was Bradley's first playoff, and she was trying for her first win, but. Uh, uh, that capped off a pretty good year with uh, with her fourth victory. You know, uh, Brad is is one of those people that uh, you know came on tour, uh, needed to you know experience the game at that level a little bit. But she was a player you knew that she was going to be successful, um, yeah. and. Uh, I remember being just a little nervous in the playoffs since it was her first one. Um, but as I said, she's a, one of those people that you knew was going to be, be good for the game. So you finally took a year off in 1976 and didn't win an LPGA event. So what was going on with your game? Uh, it, there wasn't anything going on with my game. It was all physical. Um, I had to have some hand surgery, um, and so I had hand surgery. Um, I had some a little bit of little bit of back surgery, um, and I just I was kind of at the point to where I've said I've played this game a very long time. It's been really good to me. Do I really want to do this anymore? Um, and but I knew I had to have the hand surgery because I had lost feeling in my last two fingers on my left hand. Um, so um, once I had that and was able to kind of step away, I thought, oh, this is, this is really nice uh, to uh, <laughs> kind of take a break and not feel nauseous in the mornings and, uh, you know, just kind of take a break. So I, I, I took uh, almost four years, um, before I thought, hmm, do, do, okay, I'm, I'm healed, I feel great, do I want to put my toe in the water again, um, and, and so in 80, I decided, yeah, let's go see what, where my game is, and so I, I played just a few events in 80, and then in 81, I, no, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. <laughs> um, so I did. Yeah. Just went back. So, back, uh, huh? what, what sort of, uh, what sort of things did you find yourself doing during that three or four year sort of hiatus from the professional game? 
Um, I wasn't playing any golf. Um, I had uh, I had met Martina Navratilova at a uh, women's superstars, and she had just defected six months prior. And I wasn't competing. And so with me just being there kind of could support some of the golfers that were competing. And so um, somebody said to Martina, well, your first event is to row a boat. And she goes, I don't know how. I said, well, <laughs> I'll go show you. And so, of course, the first get a go was going in circles because her left hand was so strong compared to her <laughs> right hand. So we had to straighten that out that you do one left-handed, two right-handed, which yeah. was no problem for her whatsoever. Really? So Amazing. when the competition came, she won her event. So the next event was bowling. She said, well, I've never bowled before. I said, okay, well, let's go and I'll show you how. And I think in competition, I think she bowled like 140 her first time. You know, just an amazing yeah. athlete. Yeah. And so since I really wasn't playing, they played the Virginia Slims tournament in Dallas. My home was in Dallas at that time. You know, and I said, if you ever, you know, if you ever want to stay in a private house instead, you're more than welcome. I could be there or not be there. Um, and so she said, well, yeah, I'd like to do that. And so I pick her up at the airport. Her, She's got a brace on her left hand, which... She's left-handed. Um, I go, what happened? Well, I've got tendonitis, and I'm resting it. Um, and since her defection, she had was enjoying McDonald's and Big Macs and stuff, and so there were a variety <laughs> of things. But we just got to talking. Um, there's a, I think there's a very common theme among athletes about preparation, about the mental side of any sport, of how you prepare. What are you like during competition? And she had already gotten a little bit of a reputation of yelling at the linesmen's and, you know, whatever. So we just kind of talked about that. And I just kind of started helping her kind of reinvent herself a little bit, lose some weight, stop yelling, you know, at the, at the linesmen. So I just kind of, I did that for a couple of years and, um, Hopefully, it was of help. Well, it must have been of some help because she won the Wimbledon Championship in 1978. Um, yeah, I mean, she, she by that time she had she had changed quite a bit. Um, she had learned how to train a little bit better. Just just running around the block was not going to do the training, and um, so she had learned to train a little bit. But just her. I think the way she grew mentally uh, helped her prepare for that. Um, to just not fuss at everybody, um, and and again, you're you're responsible. So show up. So yeah, she. It, it was uh, that was a special win. Well, you came back on tour. Didn't waste a lot of time. You won the nineteen eighty one hundred. Henredon Classic at Willow Creek Country Club in North Carolina by one over Judy Dickinson. And if my notes are correct, it was the next year that you fired your career low, 64 there. Do you recall that? I do. I do. Another, again, 
I love the golf course. Um, that's a, that's a real theme with me. If I like the golf course, I'm likely to, to play well. Um, and, uh, yeah, the golf course just fit my eye. And, uh, that the 81 win was such validation that I had made the right decision. Well, uh, talk about going back to back again, uh, Bruce, uh, as we get into 1982 and those two wins there, uh, the big one came one week after the first one. Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me, one in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pan and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about my albatross? Yeah, she won at uh, Rochester International at Locust Hill by six over Nancy Lopez and Hollis Stacy, and then won the uh, 82 Peter Jackson Classic DeMaria at St. George's Golf and Country Club with by winning one over Beth Daniel. Right, yep. Uh, that being the fourth major. Correct, correct. Uh, probably uh, my, my, one of my most memorable, obviously. Um, again, I love the golf course. I love Ro- Locust Hill in, in Rochester, uh, great golf course. Um, St. George's, equally great golf course. So I have a very common theme there. If I like, like the golf course, I'm likely to play well. Yeah. Well, you must have liked St. George's with rounds of 71, 71, 70, 68 for 280 minus eight. As we said, coming off that win the prior week at Rochester where she liked the golf course as well, uh, you had to make a putt at the last to avoid a playoff there, as I recall. I, I did. Um, again, I had hit it long um, into 18, and I don't. It was maybe 35 feet or something like that. But it was straight downhill. The green is very sloped, and I ran it about 10 feet by, and uh, so I had to make that coming back. Did you um, know it at the time that you had to make that to avoid a playoff? Yes, because I was playing yeah. with Beth. So gotcha. I, I was playing with Beth and Donna Capone. So. Yes, I knew. Beth, Beth, Beth says she knew too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet she did. <laughs> I bet she did. Uh, uh, but Bruce, uh, you talk about some new names that just came up toward the end of uh, end of uh, Sandra's playing career. These young whippersnappers come along: Nancy Lopez, Hollis, Stacy, Beth, Daniel. Uh, there was right. some really nice players coming on the scene uh, as you were finishing up, weren't there? They really, really were. Um, it was just great timing for the tour to have such good players and good people, um, each and every one of them. And uh, it, they just really helped continue the growth that other players from the 60s and 70s that were starting to, you know, in the 80s, trying to kind of 
draw back a little bit. Um, it was just a great time for the tour to see those young players come. Yeah. Uh, coming off that uh, final major, at some point then you began to have some knee problems. Yes, I, uh, I was still playing sporadically up until um, 89. And then um, I, I took a bad fall and crushed my knee. And uh, so had to have it rebuilt. Um, was still playing. Uh, it took a, about a year off to for that. Um, then just kind of played off and on, and then just kind of found it was was getting more difficult uh, to do that. Um, was just in a lot of discomfort. So um, kind of basically like ninety two. 91, somewhere in there, said, I think I've had enough. Yeah. Was that, was that hard to do, or was it just so obvious at the time with where you were physically that uh, you didn't have much of a choice? Uh, I think it was hard from the sense that it really wasn't my choice necessarily. It was more physical. Um, but at the same time, in reflection, you have to say, I have had a great career, I've had a great life, and, okay, what's next? That's kind of me, okay? What can I accomplish going forward? How can I maybe give back to the game? What can I do? I can, you know, I can be director of golf at a facility, I can teach, I can, I can do a variety of things. So, in reflection, yes. Not my choice, but okay, I can live with that. And now let's look forward. I'm, I'm a forward person. And I think that that probably comes out in what we've been talking about, that I don't remember some of this stuff because it's not that I don't care, because I do care. I do remember the events. I just don't remember the specifics because I'm more of a present-day person. Yeah. 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 You've made that very obvious through your conversations. You know, since since day one, that you're a very forward person. History is uh, something that's not all. You know, recognize it, but don't live by it. Right? Correct. Absolutely. I just uh, it always amazes me. I I have a a really good friend that remembers everything that they did, and you know, every shot they made in 1972 junior high school. I. <laughs> I, you know, I barely remember 1972 because, again, I don't live in the past, and it's just just me. You know, you had a, a a winning playoff record on the LPGA Tour at nine and seven, and and Bruce can relate to this, but you you might be surprised that of the sixty some odd major championship winners we've interviewed so far, Sandra, having a winning playoff record is generally not what we see. Um, it's remarkable, really. Really? I would guess if we added up the playoff record of those 60 individuals, it's probably sub-500. Really? That's no, interesting. Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt about that. It is definitely sub-500. Which tells you what a crapshoot playoffs can be, right? Oh, yeah. no <laughs> question. Yes, because you you've... You either got into the playoff because you made a mistake or you did something good. So which end, yeah. you know, 
Are you coming into the playoff because you birdied the last hole, or are you coming into the playoff because you bogeyed the last hole? Yeah. yeah. That kind of sets um, the mood. Yeah. Well, I just want to touch briefly on the majors just as a body of work. We've talked about your four wins. You had some other good finishes. And uh, get your perspective on a couple of things. Let's just start with the Chevron event, which has been known by a, a number of different names over the years, including ANA and the Kraft Nabisco, the Dinah Shore. Uh, this became a major starting in 1983. Uh, of course, this came on much later in your career, uh, where I think you had yeah. a best finish of a T15. But uh, somebody at some point made a fairly arbitrary decision as to what the line of demarcation is on when it's a major, when is it not a major. What was behind the logic of choosing that particular year? Do you know? I, I cannot speak to why it was that year. I can just say that the players um, felt that that golf course in that tournament deserved the stature of a, of a major. Um, and it was probably just due to conversation at that point that, uh, okay, the players feel very strongly about this particular event. And I think we do to this day. Um, it uh, um, with uh, David Foster, Colgate, Mission Hills. I mean, all of those things contributed greatly to the women's game of golf and to the LPGA. Um, don't know where we'd be without them, um, really, because they again gave us the opportunity to not only make Mission Hills our home for fifty years. But to travel the world, do commercials, none of us had particularly done commercials at that time. Um, so just really kind of opened our world a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, many of our younger listeners probably won't even realize that uh, during a chunk of Sandra Haney's career, she wasn't competing for five majors in a calendar year. There were only two available to play in for a while with the LPGA Championship and the U.S. Open because of uh, uh, of the, you know, when when the Western Open stopped being a major, when the title holders stopped being a major, and before the De Maurier and uh, some of these other ones came along. That that is correct. Uh, we only had two for some time, and uh, the De Maurier was actually kind of the beginning of what we now know as the British Open. That was kind of that transition. Um, but, yeah, we were thrilled to have a third major, and now they have five. So, Yes. So the De Maurier came along in 79 uh, as a major. You then won in, in 82. Do you, you recall, again, about the timing on that one? Why that line of demarcation was the 79 no. event? Yeah. Again, um, I think the importance of um, trying to create more majors and where were we going to do it? Uh, and it was only going to be really special places. And as I said, the thought there of Canada was kind of the prelude again to the British Open. Yeah. Because yeah, after, sure. after the Murray stopped and the British started. Yes, the De Maurier uh, was a, a 
major up through the year 2000. And then, of course, the, the uh, Women's British Open took over starting in 2001. I mentioned a couple of other uh, championships. The title holders was a major on the uh, LPGA Tour up through 1966. So that was always played at Augusta Country Club, as I recall. And then they had one sort of comeback year in 1972. What was the what was the reason for that one time coming back as a major in 1972? Do you recall? I don't. Um, I, I I played there because uh, you know it it was a an important it was an important event early on. Um, but um, I, I think they just tried to resurrect it for to see if they could, and it it just didn't work for whatever reason. I. Um, I, I've often wondered if it's just because it was in Augusta. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about senior play. You you competed in the Handa Cup. Uh, tell us a little bit about, for our listeners who aren't familiar with that event, it's Genesis. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Dr. Handa has, uh, he was, he became a, through uh, Jane Blaylock's company, um, started kind of creating uh, some senior events uh, for some players uh, over, we made it 45, not 50, but we made it over 45. And, and through her, um, she had met Dr. Handa and he, um, that was the first event that we had tried with him. We did a team event, which was just great fun. And uh, (laughs) you know, since then I, I, I may be incorrect, but I think I believe that we were kind of his first introduction really into the game of golf, and he loved it. We did it for several years. And then he really became involved in um, players with uh, diversity and uh, adaptive golf, and so he's really now spent his time promoting golf worldwide, really. Uh, But... uh, Again, he he kind of helped us uh, start looking that this is a possibility for us to, as as seniors, to maybe go play a few events a year. And prior to COVID, uh, that summer before COVID, I I played like I don't know like six or eight events, and uh, hmm. it was just it was great. Uh, we were you know getting to see each other, and because uh, we all yeah. live all over the world here. Um, yeah. but, uh, since COVID kind of knocked us back a little bit. Yeah. Does it seem like 45 years ago that you were inducted into the world golf hall of fame and the LPGA hall of fame? It doesn't, you know, um, you must've been what grade school. Then? <laughs> uh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I had, um, that was in, my prelude of not playing golf and they called and they said, you know, we want to put you and Carol in. They inducted us at the same time, which was terrific. And, um, uh, it was funny because they called, we flew in, they gave us some kind of a diploma and we flew out. That was, (laughs) that was it. And, yeah, it's uh, a little different today. I mean, it wasn't I, televised on Golf Channel. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I told that story. Some I was at uh, 
I was at a past champions dinner at Pinehurst when they had the U.S. Open there. And uh, I was on this panel thing, and they said, do you have a memory of Pinehurst? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> when we were inducted, we flew in, got our certificate, and flew out. And they went, no. And I said, no, we flew in, flew out. <laughs> that was it. So then in 1984, uh, you got inducted into the uh, Texas Golf Hall of Fame. Right. Yep. It, um, you know, it, it has been um, such an honor to be recognized by these organizations that, um, that, that your game is appreciated. And hopefully um, I've been able to give back as well to, to say thank you for those honors. So tell us a little bit about uh, some of the things that you found yourself getting passionate about and, and getting involved in uh, uh, subsequent to your playing career. I have, um, as I said, I, I took a, a director of golf job at, at Timron and South Lake for a couple of years. Um, I have uh, done, I have taught students. I've worked with some players on the LPGA, some on the Symmetra Tour, or the name of it now, uh, Epson Tour. Um, and uh, somebody asked me not long ago, they said, well, you're not teaching as much. And I said, well, the good news is I had a bunch, several teenagers. They all got golf scholarships to colleges, and they're off. So that's the good news to that, why I don't teach yeah. as much anymore. Um, and, and now um, I have uh, been asked to, to help uh, do a little consulting with the Texas Golf Association, which I'm really enjoying. Good people. See how I can help uh, let people know that the Texas Golf Association is, is really more than just your handicap number. They really do a great job of serving the industry in many, many different ways. So I'm, I'm delighted to be doing that now. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, that's great. Well, as we kind of wind down, Bruce, uh, there are a handful of questions we like to finish uh, with each of our guests. Uh, you want to start? Yeah, I sort of, I've sort of half got a, a, an inkling of what the answer will be to this question. <laughs> but the question is... If we took you back to when you first started on the tour and you knew then what you know now, what would you have done differently? What would I have done differently? Um, hmm. You know, I, I think the only thing that I would have liked to have done is to know more from the beginning about mindfulness, about the mental approach, and have and would have done more with that while I was out in public and being able to speak to it, um, and having that confidence to to go speak about it, um, which I do today, especially with my students. Um, the the mind is a to me, it's a very interesting thing. Oh, boy. And um, as I said, uh, I, I think I learned it later um, 
But as far as the 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 timing of when I turned pro and how I did it, I wouldn't change a thing. Great. So I'm going to give you one career mulligan. Where do you want to take it? Giving me a career mulligan. One shot. Where do you take it? Uh, I take it to Mission Hills in Palm Springs to have won that tournament just once. Ah, okay. I finished I second. Like I finished second three times. Um, the last time was 82. I shot 65 the last day. Sally Little shot 64. Nothing mm-hmm. I can do. But <laughs> no. um, uh, to this day, I, I, I have a trophy that says I finished second. And I've, I've kept that just to remind me. So that would be my mulligan. All right. Fair enough. You got one last question. How would you like to be remembered? Um, well, I think, I think my record is, is what it is. Um, I think that I would just like to be remembered uh, with kindness, um, that, that I did take the opportunity to give back to the game in some way, in any way. Um, but I think, um, calm confidences and kindness have just always been in the forefront for me. Um. And and again, you know, you treat you treat others as you want to be treated, and that's just that's just me. I want to be as kind as possible. Well, you've certainly been kind today. Thank you so much for for your time and the background information on your life as a wonderful player. It's I know Michael's uh, backed me up on this. It's been it really has been a pleasure, and we thank you a lot. Well, you're so kind. Both of you, you've been super kind. And uh, this has really been an honor to have the opportunity to just visit with you and uh, reminisce about some stuff I don't remember. It's been great. (laughs) Sandy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate you sharing your story on For the Good of the Game. It's, It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway, it went smack down the fairway, then it started to slice just a smidge off line. Headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle, quite a way.